Blog Talk Radio. It's been a long road getting from there to here. It's been a long time, but my time is finally here. I can feel the change in the wind right now. Nothing's in my way. Britain. Good afternoon, United States. And if you're in Australia, you're either up very late at night or very early in the morning. But welcome, everybody. Today we have, this is Dr. Jess Online coming to you from the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine here in southeastern Pennsylvania in the United States, otherwise known as Dr. Jess. And I have a great show for you today. I have Sean Bean as a guest, who I'm going to introduce in a, uh, in a minute, but he's otherwise known as the great and powerful Sean Bean, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, we're going to be talking about thyroid problems today, okay? Uh, up in our blogs and our papers and our uh, sites, uh, the mystery of thyroid problems keeps popping up, and there's nobody who knows more about it than Sean. Uh, let me introduce this amazing man. Uh, listen, uh, everybody knows that Sean and I work together. Um, it's kind of a loose partnership, but it's a partnership nevertheless. Uh, Sean is one of the most brilliant men I have ever met. He has a way of seeing things that makes Sherlock Holmes look stupid. I kid you not. Uh, there are many times, and he kids about this all the time, as many times when he starts talking to one of his patients in the office, and all you do is see my arm sling around his office with a, with a recorder, and I put it down on his desk, okay? When we were writing uh, PowerPoints for the MABIM conference in January of 2015, okay, um, Several of the participants came to our office, and we did nothing but ask Sean questions and recorded what came out of his mouth. Okay, this guy, I don't know how he does it. I'm not asking. But I'm going to tell you some truths about Sean Bean. Sean is the power behind the throne of many things you see. A lot of the people who are very, very big and very, very flamboyant, who are way out there, and I'm not going to name names, so I don't feel like getting sued. Okay, you don't realize that the knowledge they have, or at least in part, and sometimes in large part, is because of the man I'm about to interview. Okay, he has been a premier researcher. He can synthesize the information. He sees connections that nobody else sees. And more than that, he's given his knowledge away. A dog with a bone, okay? The reason that we are in this area of medicine, as far as we are, is in large part, part, because of the man I'm about to interview. I couldn't have greater respect or love for somebody like him. You know, in the Bible it says, you know, there's no greater, th no greater thing you can do than lay down your life for your friend. Well, 
we often think about that as jumping on hand grenades, okay? But when you dedicate your life to something and you start making information and treatment available that up until this time heretofore was not available, okay, and you make it so free that people can learn it and practice it, that's dedicating your life. That's giving up your life for humanity or giving up your life for those people. Yes, we charge for our time, but believe me, the amount of free information that he has given out to other healthcare providers, to other entities that have made other things flourish, it would take me hours, but hours, but hours to tell you. Okay, I couldn't, like I said, I couldn't have a greater amount of respect for somebody. So let me welcome you, Sean. I appreciate you spending time with, with us on the show today. Jess, thank you for this wonder, wonderful opportunity to speak uh, about the thyroid gland, which is probably one of the most misunderstood glands there is in traditional medicine. Mm-hmm. So we're, trying, we're yeah. going to try to be here to try to help um, clear some misconceptions and provide update information to really help people out there. So let me let everybody know that if you're on the um, – Everybody's gotten the the link, so you should be able to get into the chat room. If you're in the chat room, I'm monitoring it. I see it right in front of me, so you can, anytime you want, just type in questions, and I'll ask Sean, and you can listen to the answer. Uh, if you want to call in, again, I'm, I'm still working on a different venue, but uh, unfortunately, it would be a long-distance call um, from UK. It would be 001-646-595-2277. That would be 001 or plus one. Uh, 646-595-2277. In the United States, it would just be the area code and um, and uh, uh, telephone number. Feel free to call in. I'll see you on the queue, okay? And I will uh, call you in turn. Uh, don't be afraid to ask any questions. Please remember that Sean or I or any of our guests cannot treat you over this particular venue, but can answer general questions. And but trust me, uh, it'll be good stuff. Sean, I, I think we need to start at the basics. Okay, uh, could you explain just the structure and function of the thyroid gland in general terms, just so we all have a common language to deal with? Yeah, the thyroid gland is is located a little bit at the base of the neck. And a lot of times when you examine a person, you can actually see the enlargement of the inflammation around that area. And that could be an indication of, you know, potential swelling of the thyroid. Um, normally what I do if I do physical examinations, just by looking at a person's gland, you can see if the thyroid is inflamed or not um, around the sides of the neck um, are usually swollen. It pretty looks, it's pretty cool. It looks close to the lymphoid, to the lymphs. So sometimes, you know, what looks as thyroid may be actually just small lymphs. So when you look at the thyroid gland, um, the first thing you got to look at is the, what's called, we call the HPT axis. Uh, this is basically the cascade of events that happen in the stress response. And once the HPT, you know, once the hypothalamus releases the TRH, which is the thyroid releasing hormone, then it releases. Then the pituitary releases the TSH. The TSH then releases the uh, thyroid. Thi- um, releases the thyroid, which is what's called T3, which is the thyroxine. Okay, T4 is basically a reservoir for T3. Okay, T3 is known as trio triiodine. Yeah, try to say that ten times. Don't ask because I might do it. <laughs> but, but 
I've been practicing. But T four <laughs> is, but T four is normally the one that traditional medicine looks at, and they tend to avoid the T. They tend not to look at the T three. Uh, as a practitioner and stuff, when people come to me with thyroid um, results um, from endocrinologists, you normally see TSH and T four only. They don't check the free T3, free T4, um, TPO, TGAB to check for the antibodies. They only check just the beginning part of it. And they're only yeah. just starting to scrape the surface. This is me. You know, we know that the, uh, the hypothalamus releases TRH in response to how much circulating T3 there is. We know that the pituitary releases thyroid stimulating hormone to get the thyroid to release thyroid hormones. Um, and that is T3 and T4. So you're saying that T4 gets released and gets converted to T3, no? That is correct. T4 would be okay. the reservoir, and eventually um, multiple factors go into T4, T3 conversion, which I'll touch on a little bit later. Um, but um, what confuses me always is why do they not check the obvious? Why don't they check at least TSH, T3, and T4? A lot of times it's just TSH. You know, it, well, it never made any sense to me. That's what they're traditionally taught. Um, they're just checking to see how the pituitary response is going. They're not checking to see what the downstream effect is. And technically, I recommend that the TSH is basically the general sending out the signals. Um, and if the soldiers follow them, that's a different story. So okay. when we're dealing, when we're dealing with the thyroid, when we're dealing with thyroid gland, the major thing we need to look at is, is um, functionality. Just because you have T4, T3 normal, you know, and I'm sure many of you out there go to a doctor and you see that they have T4 and T3 in the normal range or a TSH of, say, 2.5, okay? The normal TSH range ranges between uh, 0.5 to 5.0 in some scales. Others tend to be 0.5 to 4.5. Some even go to three. Um, if you look at the recent endocrinology, there's actually a book out there for endocrinology. Jess, you still there? Oh, I hate Skype. Sean, call back in, would you? I just noticed that it dropped. Okay, hang in, everybody. Okay, this is, uh, we're trying to do this from Skype. Here we go. Hey, Sean, are you? I'm here. Yes. All right, sorry. I didn't notice the Skype had dropped. It just, it dropped you, and then all of a sudden it notified me. Go okay. for it, guy. So, basically, as I was saying, is in typical endocrinology standards, their range of TSH usually range from 0.5 up to 5. And if you're anywhere within that range of, say, 2.5, 2.0, they're going to just say, you know what, you're inside their normal range. There's no further evaluation to do. So then you're just go see a, then you're just go see a psychiatrist, okay? There's nothing wrong with you. Whereas know that the TSH is not a true indicator. It's just a pituitary response uh, to make sure that the general is releasing the signal and make sure the soldiers are following the orders. Sometimes the, sol- sometimes the general's drunk and the soldiers are following out the signals. Sometimes the general's fine and, then, and the, the soldiers are drunk. 
So it really depends upon the situation. But a normal TSH should run anywhere between 1 to 1.5 on average. If you're above the 1.5 range, I'm going to be looking at hard at the functionality of secondary and tertiary thyroid issues. A lot of the times, the thyroid is basically broken down into um, what we call primary, secondary, and tertiary. A lot of the times, primary is usually due to structural imbalances. Secondary and tertiary are due to external things such as adrenal issues, mitochondria, and a whole bunch of other factors that I'll get into later. So when looking at the TSH, we want optimal TSH range of around 1 to 1.5. So if it's above 1.5, the practitioner should start be looking at the free T3 and free T4 levels. When looking at the free T3 and free T4 levels, uh, over the course of the 10 years I've been working, or if not longer, in this field, they've changed. Okay, the bottom range on 3T3 used to be 2.3. Now it's down to 2.0 in some situations. So as our society leans towards more of a subclinical hypothyroidism, that becomes more of the norm. So when looking at the 3T3, if a person's down, if a person for a female is anywhere between 3.3 to 3.6, that's the optimal range for a female. Males don't need to be as high. Males work best right around that mid-range of uh, 2.9 to 3.2. Um, females need to be more in the upper range. I don't know the reason why, but clinically I've seen that a lot in clients. Um, but you'll come in people that have TSH of like 1.0, free T3 of 2.5, Free T4, which ranges from 0.8 up to um, 1.5. It all depends on the range. So you could have somebody come in with a TSH of 1.5, free T4 of 1.4, and be perfectly normal according to standards. But the person is totally subclinical hypothyroid symptoms, cold hands, cold feet, um, losing hair, um, depression, anxiety, um, skin is, yet, you know, the skin is actually, like, pale. So they're sitting there screaming hypothyroid clinically, but because the numbers are in the range, nothing's being done about it. And these poor people are slipping through the cracks. So when you look at the thyroid, you've got to look at the free T3, free T4, and you have to look how the body's converting it. If the free T4 is up and free free T3 is down, then you need to find out why it's doing it. Another factor is is it's called reverse T3. And what reverse T3 does is reverse T3 is our built-in mechanism to prevent us from self-destructing. Because if our T3 is up, our body should be in a rest and restore mode, not with the gas pedal down. So a lot of people, a lot of practitioners are using T3 only which may help some symptoms, but it's not solving the problem. It becomes a temporary Band-Aid effect. And using a little bit of T3 is not a bad idea to nudge it, which would be more in the lower end of the dosages, which would be maybe like five micrograms once or twice a day. But there's doctors out there that are giving 25 micrograms, up to 50 micrograms of T3 a few times a day and it's making problems worse 
because the person may feel better, but for most women, their libido goes to hell in a handbasket because sometimes the T3 medicine causes other problems because of the because scientifically it's shown to raise the sex hormone binding globulin, which actually causes the testosterone level to drop, the free testosterone level to drop. So proper administration of meds in thyroid issues is crucial. And the problem is, is as all of you know, you end up with Synthroid, Vivothyroxine, um, or even Armour which would be natural thyroid, you know, T4, T3 combination, which is fine. But a lot of people are stuck on T4, and they're given Synthroid. And first of all, if they're gluten intolerant, Synthroid contains a little bit of gluten. So they could be cross-reacting to the actual meds themselves. And one of why so they're is, If I can answer. interrupt you, because I was asked that question before. Um, does is the product itself have gluten in it? Yeah, it, it's one of the binding. Synthroid has been shown to have some type of gluten, and people that are silly, true celiacs or severely gluten intolerant can't handle it. Okay. They do, they do better off of Lavoxyl. Lavoxyl tends to be the more um, stable one to where it doesn't have a lot of binders and people don't react to it as much. And Lavoxyl is just straight T4, which, you know, when treating the thyroid – it's not bad to give a little bit of T4. You know, maybe the clinician won't give the full dosage of 100 micrograms or 75 micrograms, but it's not bad to start off with 25, uh, 25 micrograms to 50 micrograms, and then monitor. Okay, see how the body's see what the body's doing with it. Okay, let's. You're getting into some treatment. Let, let's go back a little bit. Okay, and we talked about T4 to T3 conversion. Okay, mm-hmm. which seems to be a major a major consideration. What right. are the things that would interfere with T4 to 3D, T3 conversion? T4 to T3 conversion has multiple factors. Um, one of those factors is nutrition. If you're zinc, selenium, iodine um, deficient, that mm-hmm. can play a huge part. And again, this is where you know, why are you zinc deficient? And they can, you know, branch off into different realms of pyloria and so forth. Okay. Mm-hmm. And reason, go ahead. Go ahead. Another reason why T4, T3 doesn't happen is, is um, people think that the conversion happens mainly within the liver. It doesn't. Kidneys. Okay. So if you have a person who's diabetic, kidneys, Kidneys is one of the major sources of T4, T3 conversion that people don't look at. And sometimes if you treat the kidneys holistically, the reverse T3 actually, the T4, T3 conversion actually increases. So if you work on the kidneys and balance them out, um, balance them out, the T4 will also balance out. Poor liver conversion, okay? Liver convert, a properly functioning liver is necessary for T4, T3 conversion. That's why a lot of the herbs and stuff that focus on the liver tend to help out before conversion. Heavy metals. If you have any kind of heavy metals in your system, there's, they will convert T4, T3 issues. If you have problems with insulin, insulin dysregulation or insulin imbalance or um, insulin resistance also has a huge factor in T4, T3 conversion. Um, adrenaline. 
too much cortisol, all have factors on T4, T3 conversions. So speaking, speaking of which, um, since you're on the subject sort of, what's the relationship between the thyroid adrenals and sex hormones? All right. The analogy I use is, and this is a great visual, imagine a train going up a hill, an engine in the front, engine in the back. The engine in the front is the thyroid and the engine in the back is the adrenal glands. Okay. Now what happens is, is if the engine in the front goes down, the engine in the back has to compensate for it. Okay. To push. So as the thyroid goes down, the adrenals have to push harder to keep the train moving up the system, keep the train moving up the hill. And that little engine only pushes so hard before it starts to fall back down. And if you don't address the adrenal gland, either in conjunction with the thyroid, you're going to end up having too much thyroid in the blood, and you're going to end up with what's called thyroid dumping. So as soon as if you have normal thyroid in the blood and you start treating the adrenal glands, people complain about they feel that they're going to hyperthyroid. It's not. It's just the body pushing that they're pushing the uh, thyroid tissue from the blood. They're pushing the thyroid from the blood into the tissue, and it's actually doing what it's supposed to be doing. And it can mimic symptoms of hyperthyroidism. Um, and as the, you know, when dealing with, you know, stress in general, okay, if the cord- if the if the adrenals are hyperadrenal, that will the body's going to be in, in the body will naturally downregulate as a protective mechanism, metabolism, okay. So if a person's stressed, the body's going to produce reverse T3 because it can't handle the stress in the first place. But if you address the adrenal glands and address the source of the stress, our T3 drops. This is why when people have prolonged stresses and high ARB T3s, you always have to look at the history. The history will dictate, um, like, for example, say the person had a trauma such as a surgery, Okay and then they see their RT3 increasing, which is basically a braking system. And then the doctor says, oh, your reverse T3 is high. Let's push on the gas. You don't want to push on the gas in that situation because the stress is not been dealt with. You have to deal with the stress first and let the body regulate on its own rather than treating it with T3 or try to mimic, try to push the T3 down. Your body's doing it for a natural protective mechanism to tell you to slow down. But instead, as practitioners, what we want to do, we want to push the foot in the gas pedal. And sometimes pushing the foot in the gas pedal can have negative responses, as a lot of people are starting to say. Now, you had mentioned um, the need for supporting the kidneys. Um, how, how do you go about supporting the kidneys in a case like this? When dealing with the kidneys, what you want to do is, is number one, is you want to use tonifying herbs. Okay, you can use dandelion root, you can use um, juniper, you can use um, typical herbs and stuff to tonify the kidney. Kidney mean. What's that, sir? What is What does tonifying the kidney mean? Tonify means to bring it back in balance. If it's hyper-excitatory or low-excitatory, you need to bring the kidney back into balance. Gotcha. And a lot of... Think of tonifying as adaptogens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just asking because I know somebody out there. If I have the question, I know somebody else. There, somebody else has got the question, so well, that's sure. why I'm never afraid to ask questions. Uh, sure. Another question here was: um, Might armor, that's porcine derived, contribute um, 
risk of autoimmune thyroid um, uh, like due to sensitivity to poor kind products. So uh, I guess what this person is asking is, uh, is the uh, pig-derived armor thyroid uh, contribute to the risk of autoimmune thyroid problems uh, due to the sensitivity to, to, um, uh, to pig or yeah, poor kind products? I would say absolutely. If you have food sensitivity or sensitivity to any of the ingredients in it, it can definitely trigger, it can definitely add to autoimmune disorders. In this situation, if people have that, this is when I would go into a synthetic form. A lot of the people that are on armor may see their antibodies actually go up rather than down. And the mm-hmm. reason being is, is their body is actually attacking the thyroid medicine. Because when you have an autoimmune disorder, what does it do? It attacks the thyroid gland. Okay. Right. But the problem is, is the body doesn't know the difference between the pig gland and the, thyroid, the human thyroid. So it starts actually attacking the thyroid medicine instead. Mm-hmm. And you start to see the antibodies go up. Um, it may also be, if you check your nutritional balance, that there's, that their selenium levels might be high, or if they're doing iodine. Sometimes iodine can also increase autoimmune disorders as well. But if they're specifically having uh, a fear of having, um, they notice that they're on armor and their antibodies are starting to rise, you really want to look at saying, okay, is my body starting to attack the thyroid medicine? And maybe have the practitioner treating them, maybe switch over to a uh, synthetic form. Um, which has worked wonders in a lot of cases that don't respond well to um, natural thyroid. You just have to make sure the practitioner uses both T4 and T3 and monitors, monitors them appropriately and not to get, not to get stuck on synthroid or just plain old T4. Uh, since, we're, since we're segueing into that, which is the real – this is the real big issue anymore – uh, a lot of people, you know, and, and we both consult with people all over the world, and um, the treatment of thyroid has uh, been questionably productive at best. And we have a lot of people out there who are trying to balance thyroid, and they're, trying, and, and they're using all manner of different combinations of things, and, and often they'll use whatever it happens to be and, and up it by a small amount, and they'll go from hypo to hyperthyroid. Um, it's always been my opinion that when I see that, it's something else going on. Uh, but I'd like to hear what you have to say about actually balancing the thyroid with alacrity and knowledge. Because I got to tell you something, it's it's been it's been tough depending on where you are in the world and what kind of things they have available. It's been tough to to really get people's uh, thyroid to balance. What are some of the things that you do? When trying to balance the thyroid, you always have to look at the underlying pathology, as you know very well, because mm-hmm. that will dictate how you approach it. Um, let's just say, for example, if a person comes to you and they're like, Doc, I've tried everything. I just don't respond to any type of thyroid. The number one thing I found recently in um, a colleague of ours is that even though that they have the right amount of thyroid in a compound of formula, what happened was is due to the compounding or the binding of how the T4 and T3 was combined in one capsule, it was found out that once that it was separated, we saw a significant change in the parameter of the thyroid and also saw markers that have to do with lipids actually change. 
So when you're looking to see if it's actually functioning or not, you have to look at other factors. And a lot of times, because of the country you're in, they don't have that liberty to. So you don't know if the thyroid is really doing its job because you're not monitoring the primary and secondary characteristics of what it's doing. Because if you start addressing the thyroid, if you start addressing the thyroid and you have a person's hyperlipidemia and their lipids actually go back to normal, that tells you that the thyroid is moving in the right direction. Okay? Another way you can tell this is, is um, there's a great test out there that we use, the hormone test, 24-hour. If you look at the 24-hour, on the precision hormone test, if you look at the conversion between 24-hour and pre-cortisol, that will tell you if their thyroid is actually working right from a cellular level. And I've used that with great success um, in order to know which way to go with the thyroid. I mean, I've, I've looked at that and said, you know what, your thyroid medicines are really, really low. And then the, the client was like, funny you said that. My doctor just increased them. And I didn't have results to the lab tests. It was just interpretation of the labs that led me to that conclusion. So when people are not responding to traditional medicine, you have to pull yourself back and ask for why. The first thing you want to do is, is what type of thyroid are they taking? Where are they getting it? What is the combination? Are they using expedients? Are they using corn? Okay, a lot of the a lot of the things a lot of the thyroid meds compound it have corn in it, okay, as a derivative. So okay, you, you said you said you said corn, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay, I just want to make sure I heard the right word. Yeah, a lot of them have corn in it. Okay, sometimes they could be alert. You know, they're doing compounded. You got to make sure that you have to make sure the quality of the compound pharmacy. Okay, because a lot of the times, techs they hire techs to make this stuff. And I got caught my pants down a couple of times because I told them to make a certain amount. And next thing you know, something wasn't right two or three days in. I'm like, I'm like, this isn't right. And the consistency wasn't right. Well, what happened was is I was supposed to have 10 milligrams of DHEA. They ended up making 100. So my estrogen symptoms went crazy. And I knew what it was because the consistency wasn't the same. So you have to trust the quality. And a lot of the compounding pharmacists are hiring techs that are paying less money to do the compounding, and they're fresh out of school. So this is why I prefer to use something like, uh, like Nature Thyroid, Armor, or some type of natural thyroid. There's also a natural thyroid out on the market that's actually bovine, and I've had fantastic results with that um, in regards to people that don't respond to porcine. So there's different methods that you can look at, but you have to look at the full picture of why. It's just not adrenal. It's just not mitochondrion. It could also be the thyroid medicine they're taking. It could be an expedient that they're having a reaction to. It could be the quality control. It could be um, the combination of T4, T3, just is it matching right for sitting for some pair of reason. And a couple of cases, I had them take the thyroid. I had doctors say, listen, their levels aren't moving. Well, they're on high doses. I said, how about we split them, okay? Take the T4 separately compound and take the T3 separately. And guess what happened? Thyroid levels went right up. So you have to kind of dissect the problem. Um, when dealing with this, quote, thyroid resistance, okay, that everybody talks about, so what do you do? You take more thyroid. Now that, uh, yeah, no, I'm here. I'm just, I, I didn't want to say a bad word. <laughs> 
because <laughs> a lot of this stuff doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But please tell them, you know. Basically, what happens when you get thyroid resistance, what you have to check on is these are the cases that you keep pounding thyroid, pounding thyroid, pounding thyroid, and they're still not getting resistance. Well, guess what? If you have a car that has a 500 horsepower engine, okay, and you're trying to have a transmission that can only hold 250, 250 horsepower, and a rear end that holds 250 horsepower, so when you step on the, when you step on the gas, what's going to happen? You're going to blow the transmission and blow the rear end, okay? Right, exactly. So you have to make sure the transmission and the rear end can handle the torque coming from the actual motor, okay? Um, and a lot of times what happens is, is sometimes the thyroid looks good, sometimes the adrenals look good, but you're still getting this resistance. As Dr. Ben and I found out together through working on mutual cases years back, as we started to address mitochondrial issues, we saw a decrease in thyroid meds significantly because what's happening is, is they're trying to push, they're trying to push a motor into an, it's like you're, you want, the, you want the performance of a Ferrari, but instead you're getting performance of a Volkswagen, okay? Mm. Yeah. Because you're not able to access, you're not able to get, take full advantage of all that horsepower, okay? Once you understand the principle on, let's look at the, let's look at other factors, such as the mitochondria, okay? And that is a whole other episode among itself between the, might have, you know, because of what's affecting it and viruses, Lyme, so forth. And that's a whole other discussion. But generally, as you address the other factors, the mitochondrion will tend to address along the line. And once that mitochondrion tends to address, thyroid medication actually, in some cases, have been discontinued and off. Um, myself included, I've been in this, I've been, I was in this circle for six years. I was on... Uh, every kind of thyroid medicine on the face of the earth after armor crashed in several years ago when they started changing things around. And that's another thing you have to stay up on, too. These medicines can change bindings. And they do. And they do. <laughs> and they do. And they change ingredients, and they change something and they, they change don't tell you. And they do, they do not have to tell you, Okay. It took mm-hmm. me nine months to find a thyroid after using every single stinking thing in the face. Don't be fooled by people. Don't be fooled by generics. Generics no. are only required to match the molecule for the first three months. After that, they have to match 80%. That's the law. That's why they'll come out first three months. It's cool. After that, people start decompensating. Exactly. Ludicrousness. Absolute ludicrousness. Great point. That's why, that's why I always recommend doctors go to Levoxyl or Synthroid, if there's not as, or don't use the generic T3, okay? I was chewing those up like they're pets, and my levels weren't moving. Um, even on 200 micrograms of generic T4 and 50 micrograms of T3 generic, my TSH was still 9. Explain that one. <clears throat> and then I switched over, <clears throat> I switched over to Westroid, Naturethroid, still not budging. I finally went to uh, IRFA, which is sublingual. I can take, I take IRFA, I was taking IRFA sublingually, and I was getting phenomenal results off it. It was the only medication that worked in my system once they changed the armor thyroid. And I was on two and a half, and I actually had to switch over from the generic T3 to the actual, to actually Cytomel itself. 
and that's when magic starts to happen because that's when I started to come out of my depression. I knew something was wrong when I was at a doctor's office I was working at, and I did the biggest boo-boo was I jumped in front of the doctor, which I normally wouldn't do. I'm normally calm and cool, but my excitation was so bad that I was jumping out of my skin, and when I saw an error that he made, I brought it to his attention in front of a patient, which was a big no-no. Um, and I told him, I said, I apologize. I don't know what went on. And when I checked my thyroid, my TSH was 22. And so, anybody, who does, anybody who doesn't know Sean, Sean is a big brawny guy. Not even I would want him jumping out at me, and I'm Sicilian. Trust me. Okay? <laughs> it would be a sight. I, I just wanted to, put a little le- I wanted to put a little levity in there, brother. When you, when you are having hypothyroid symptoms, one of the major symptoms you will have is, is anxiety. Because as your thyroid drops, your adrenaline's going to compensate for it and start stressing your adrenal glands. Okay? So think, if you have hypoadrenal, hypothyroid, just imagine what your anxiety is going to be. Okay? And then what happens? You end up on antidepressants. Okay? Right. Right. Exactly. Um, there are two questions here that, that are being okay. asked in the chat room is um, one, do you have a preferential UK thyroid med brand? Uh, I, I don't know if you're comfortable answering that one. If you, if you're not just say so, um, I guess it depends on which thyroid we're talking about, but remember every, everybody in, uh, in Britain's listening right now. So if you do have a, an idea of what they could uh, take that would be great. And the other one is, can you talk a little bit about thyroid resistance? Okay. Medicines. One of the things that I use in a lot of my clients in the UK is, is it's an over-counter supplement that works just as effective uh, as thyroid meds. Um, to help symptomology uh, and it's actually divine. Um, I will reserve the name of that. But sometimes, if you're using a natural product that contains bovine um, thyroid glands, it will be surprised how well it can work uh, in certain situations. So that may be one avenue. Sometimes I have people that are on synthetic. So any, anybody who needs that name should PM you or email uh, or do it privately? Can, uh, they can do it privately, email me, um, so forth. Um, I understand. But, yeah, there's certain People, please understand that there's certain things that we can see over the air. Okay, that's for your protection and our protection because we don't want to be shut down. We want this flow of information to be um, to be free. And there are some things um, that you know at the end at, at the end of his chat, you'll know how to get in touch with Sean should you need to ask questions or consult with him. So we're not trying to be evasive or sell anything, but we're trying to protect you guys and we're trying to te- we're trying to protect the show so that it grows and becomes a source of of, of good solid information that you can count on. So uh, there there. Yeah, go ahead. There, are really, there are really good natural products that really, really work very, very well um, that you can use, you know, if you're not being treated for thyroid, you can use them as a start. If you're being treated for thyroid, they can be used in conjunction with it. Um, one of the areas also helps out is, is iodine. A lot of people that are, um, a lot of people that are taking synthetic meds actually end up with iodine deficiency. And sometimes if you're iodine deficient, the iodine deficiency will actually affect the thyroid receptor. Um, there was a great website um, that came out many, many years ago. It was called iodine with the number four health.com. It had mm-hmm. all the information of 
all the scientific research based upon iodine. I went through that thing with a fine tooth comb, and it was amazing what iodine does at the receptor level. So if you're having this thyroid resistance, um, number one is, is you got to look at the adrenal glands, okay? And just because the adrenal glands look normal on a cortisol test, it doesn't mean that they don't need to be addressed, okay? Because one of the things I do as a practitioner, I will look at the test, and I'll sit there and ask the person, how do you feel on each, on each sample? And they're like, well, my cortisol comes out normal. Yeah, but your symptomology doesn't match it. And Dr. Jess and I have found through trial and error, there are certain labs out there that are not accurate, okay? And oh, then, yeah. <laughs> then, and then you wonder why the adrenal glands are not being addressed. Because number one is, is it's the lack of the experience who's interpreting it because all they do is they look at it. Right. Instead, what Dr. Jess and I do, we go through each individual time and we will ask you, so tell me how you feel here. How many tell me I'll feel there? And we'll write that, we'll note that down and say, listen, because you're feeling tired, even though that your thyroid, your adrenal is normal, it usually means that you don't have enough firemen to fire. Okay. Even though you have fire, your fire may require 20 people, but unfortunately they only send three. And now those three have to battle that blaze for a long time. And after a while, that adrenal kicks in, and then eventually you'll go into burnout. So what we try to do is, is we try to find out what's got, the fuel, what's got the foot on the, you know, what's fueling the fire. And we try to work to put out the fire and bring more firemen, bring more fire, bring, bring the cavalry in to help relieve the stress um, so the three others can take a break. Um, Just for, so, for, go ahead. So in dealing with thyroid resistance, adrenal glands would definitely be one of them. Ferritin's another one, okay? Ferritin is needed to pump cortisol from, or ferritin is needed to pump thyroid from the blood into the tissue, right? Um, there's an analogy that I use with my clients, and this really, really explains everything. When you're looking at the thyroid, imagine an underground stream running into a well. Okay. When that well gets full, how do you get the water out? You have to pump it. Okay. And once that pump, once you pump the water, where does it go? It goes into a bucket. Okay. Now what's happening with people is, is they have an underground stream running into the well. The well's full, but the pump's broken. Okay. So the pump is representation of, you know, optimal adrenal function and also ferritin levels are necessary to pump the thyroid from the blood to the tissue. Okay, well, if you got your thyroid working right, well, if you got either you've got the well working, well full, and a pump working, unfortunately, some people have a bucket that has holes in it. Okay, and these holes are representation of hormone imbalances, mitochondrial dysfunctions, heavy metals, and environmental toxins. Okay, so. We have to look in your history with a fine-tooth comb to find out. Okay, why isn't the why isn't your body holding why isn't your body holding the water and it's just running out? Okay, and once you plug those holes, guess what happens? The water actually hits the bucket, and you actually start to feel the benefits of it. Okay, and what you want to do is is reverse T3, 
is like the soot, okay? And what happens is sometimes you're pumping out dirty water or in certain situations, your pump might clog, okay? So you have to sometimes slow things down, get things back to normal, and let the soot settle before you start to pump the water out again. So that would be one of the reasons for the thyroid resistance is it's not getting it to the tissue. What is blocking the tissue? Another factor is mitochondria, okay? Again, you're trying to put a 500-horsepower engine and run it through a transmission that's got 250. The engine is representation of the thyroid, okay, which will be your thyroid meds. The representation of the transmission would be the mitochondria, okay? Just because you're pumping T3 into the cell, okay, and pushing into the mitochondrion, if your mitochondria are weak or tired, you're not going to get the performance out of it, okay? Again, you've got the Ferrari, but you're getting performance of the Volkswagen, okay? It's just not going to work. So by looking at the mitochondrion, which would be, you know, electron chain transport, complex one through complex five, looking at the genetics, looking at other factors such as viruses, heavy metals, pathogens, by correcting those and identifying those, it actually takes the stress off the body so that the mitochondria can actually work. Because if, if you have any of those factors, namely pathogens, what happens is your body's ability to convert ADP to ATP stops. And as a result of that, your adenosine will, your adenosine will actually increase, which basically tells me that you, gotta, you have um, major mitochondrial issues going on. Another factor that will cause um, thyroid resistance, shown in studies, glutathione levels. If your glutathione levels are not up to par, then therefore the thyroid receptors may not be as effective. So again, the combination between thyroid, mitochondrion, and methylation come into play here. And how many people are on T3, or how many people are on T3 only or free T or, or armor, Jess? A lot, okay? A lot, yeah. Now, what happens here is, is if your T4 is low, your body will not convert B2 into FAD. And FAD is needed for the mitochondria. Okay? So if your T4 is low and you're not supplementing with riboflavin phosphates, guess what? You're actually stalling your mitochondria potentially. And when you stall mitochondria, that's not a good thing. <clears throat> Sometimes, once you have optimal T3, T4 ratio, the breaking gas system is in check. Sometimes adding a little bit of T4 medicines will tend to get the mitochondria flowing on the same way. But for the time being, a workaround would be to use riboflavin 5 phosphate And this is where the main source comes in at. How many people are not responding to glutathione, Jess? Loads. Loads. Okay. Loads. They actually get worse on glutathione. Why? Because they are running into a bottleneck to where they're having too much oxidized and they're not reducing it into its proper form. And what this is doing is, is 
This is bottlenecking the mitochondria. When, and when you add either T4 or riboflavin phosphate, what it does is it turns that switch on or helps to turn the oxidized into reduced glutathione. And when that starts to happen, the mitochondrion starts to turn on. Thyroid starts to work because the mitochondrion are starting to work. So that's so, one of the workarounds that I use. It, it re, re, in reality, what, what we're saying, okay, and what Sean's indicating is that there's not one easy answer. Um, the thyroid is interactive with the adrenal glands, interactive with the sex hormones, interactive with the methylation pathway, interactive with the biopterin pathway, interactive with uh, the mitochondrial electron transport chain. It's not an easy answer. Uh, there is a, um, you know, there was one question here: Is name brand better than qual than better quality than compounded from a compounding pharmacy? Honestly, it, it's less that and more of what you actually need. Okay, and sometimes treating the body is more treat more important than treating just the thyroid, because you can see that Sean went into many different areas, okay, and started naming different pathways that we tend to look at, okay, but it's not an easy answer, especially if you've been tinkering with the thyroid for a while, okay, it's, it, it should give you an indicator that um, this, is not, this is not a single system answer, it's a multi, multifactorial, multi-system answer. Okay, and that's what has to be considered here. Uh, yes, you need somebody who understands the thyroid and, and the various um, permutations and the various things that you can use because part of it is understanding and part of it is, you know, having the uh, uh, the toolbox so you know exactly what to use with what and what makes things work and what things you should look for and things aren't working. Okay, that's where the real art comes in. That's where that's where Sean really shines. Okay, but... Um, the, I, I tend to talk to people and they're looking for how do I fix my thyroid? Okay, how do, you know, what's this thyroid resistance? It's not a single answer. There are numerous answers that can cause these situations to come about, okay, and even fixing them is just not a matter of reversing it. Would you agree with that, Sean? Absolutely. Um, one case I had to where the woman was trying everything on the face of the earth, but they failed to look at the sex hormones. Because mm-hmm. if you're running estrogen dominance, estrogen increases thyroid binding globulin, which actually locks up the thyroid, very similar to what sex hormone binding does to um, testosterone. So right. if thyroid binding globulin is high, it doesn't matter what's going on in your blood. It's going to be completely irrelevant because it's going to be false. So... That goes back to the hormones, okay? If a woman is in estrogen-dominant state, and it doesn't... A woman could be estrogen-deficient, but still be estrogen-dominant because it's the balance between the progesterone and estrogen and also the metabolites. Um, one thing that we just recently found um, that I found a correlation was is that uh, I was toying around with Mike, Mac, uh, Mike um, McAvee, or McAvoy. McAvoy, right. Mike McAvoy, is we were bouncing back and forth, and we found that um, the connection between the CYP1A1 and the CYP2A1 on genetic expressions are more likely to be indicative of mold. And with that being said, we're finding out that mycotoxins act 
will actually increase aromatase activity in the system, which means you could have normal thyroid, you could have optimal, you know, metabolism, but if you have mold there and you have the genetic expression, guess what? It's the mycotoxins from the mold that is causing the estrogen dominance that may be hidden to be seen. And people are over in the UK, Jess, okay? That is, that is mold central. I don't give a darn what everybody says. That is mm-hmm. mold central. Is. You live in the climate, okay? There's old houses over there that have been there been, since the dawn of time, okay, that are stone. You also have issues with a lot of these women and stuff. Um, when, you look at the, when you look at the majority of the clientele coming from UK, it's mostly female, and they're, they're averaging between the age of 30 and up, okay? What little is known is, is and I discovered this by dumb luck, is, is when I did a search in regards to the desert storm in relationship to um, the amount of people sent over, the amount of British men that went to, to fight in the desert storm was crazy, okay? And the reason being is, is you are starting to see the offspring of this desert storm people, okay? And reason being is, is when I look into the history with a lot of the females, I'm finding a high correlation of their fathers served in the military. And by being over in desert storm, these people were highly vulnerable to sand fleas, which carry Lyme disease. So what I speculate is happening is, is that the mold is actually triggering a lot of the Lyme that you're seeing over in UK because of its effect on the genetic expressions, which are coming from multiple angles. These factors can have a huge impact on thyroid function. And we know from treating Lyme, one of the major things that gets disrupted is the HPT axis. And the main factor of that is the adrenals and thyroid. So when looking into the history, I'm starting to look into the military side of things as to see if their father served or if, um, to see if there was any kind of uh, military. One case I worked on, the father was deployed and served in North Carolina. And now the person has, you know, now the person is experiencing Lyme and co-infections on top of other factors. So these are new areas that we're starting to explore. And hormonal imbalances are a huge factor on completing thyroid because a lot of the times, a lot of this pylorious stuff that's going on, if you do not have optimal progesterone and estrogen imbalance in a female, guess what? Zinc is not going to be taken up into the, to the tissue, okay? It's going to be blocked. And as we mentioned before, you hear about the T3, T4 syndrome, going, you know, the T4, T3 conversion issue, and they start going with pyloria. Guess what? Correcting the estrogen dominance, corrected the pyloria, which corrected the T4, T3 conversion factor to where they were able to discontinue a lot of the thyroid supplementation of T4. So what, what, what Sean is saying that is uh, that is a one takeaway is that cryptopolyuria or polyuria is a downstream effect of something else. 
Uh, there's a lot of people out there who think that it's a standalone condition. It's not. Just thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> and another factor we're running into is, is you know, xenobiotics. Okay. Mm-hmm. Xenobiotics can act just as it can act just like estrogen. Okay. I know they don't have it over there, but a lot of the I'm seeing a lot of guys with high high SHBG. Okay, which is sex hormone binding globulin, but their testosterone mm-hmm. is normal, but they're having problems with sexual side effects. Well, when I look, when, when Mike and I started looking into the history, we were beginning to see a close correlation between mycotoxins and the rise of sex hormone binding globulin, okay? Which tells me that estrogen, estrogen, pseudoestrogen, are starting to be a major player, okay? Now, over in London, okay, London, I consider um, a little L.A., okay? Oh, it's a, a toxic of city, no question. It's a toxic city, and one of those toxins is, come, you know, petroleum. Petroleum is mm-hmm. a xenobiotic, okay? So if you're living in London and you're wondering why you have thyroid problems, take a look at the environment. I'm right? sorry, are you saying it's a xenobiotic or a xenoestrogen? It's xenobiotic, xenoestrogen, the same thing. Oh, okay, sorry. They're, they're man-made estrogens, which come from uh, fossil fuels. Gotcha, gotcha. So by, with, that's why by looking at the area you live in, unfortunately, UK doesn't have the luxury of having a, um, a chart that we have over here in the United States. We have a um, um, scorecard.org which allows us to see exactly what environmental impacts are in your city. It will be interesting to see what the environmental impacts over on London um, and to see exactly what the counts are of the um, ammonia levels of the xylene, toluene, and other petroleum-based products over there because of the amount of exhaustions from all the cars over there. So we're, that's we have right, absolutely. So, uh, people, uh, you can tell that Sean is a wealth of information. Okay, um, we're getting toward the end of our hour here. Um, if you want, room, please type it out now. Okay, if you'd like to call in with a question, uh, a more specific question, remember that we can't actually treat you here, but we can set you in right directions. Uh, the number is zero zero one four six four six five nine. I'm sorry, let's do that again. 001-646-595-2277. That would be 001-646-595-2277. If you're in the United States, it's just 646-595-2277. Sean, obviously this is a real complex um, endeavor and a complex condition. And as you, as we were talking about this yesterday, when you were in the office, um, you know, if you get, don't get the thyroid running, nothing runs. Okay. It's, you know, uh, you have to have a lot of considerations, but the thyroid kind of runs the show. Um, when people, at what point do people need professional um, guidance in this area? There's a lot of things you can do on your own, but at what point do you think people need professional guidance? When you're running into those brick walls and you're wondering why aren't I getting better, even though my thyroid levels are normal, I've tried everything. I've been to every doctor on the face of the earth and my, and my symptoms are still not resolving. It's time to look elsewhere. Um, 
And one of the easiest ways to monitor between thyroid and adrenals is, is to take your temperature three times, three, three, day, uh, three times a day. Uh, when you get up in the morning, about every three to four hours afterwards, and what you do is you chart those. If you see a change, if you see a huge fluctuation between the temperatures throughout the daytime, then you know you're more adrenal-related. If you see the temperatures are low constantly, that's more adrenals. I mean, that's more thyroid. So that's one way to tell. Um, there's a lot of simple things you can do. Another simple thing you can do is you can look on your hand to see um, where your pinky in relationship is to your um, ring finger. If you hold straight up where the first knuckle is, usually the usually the usually the um, if it's clinically genetically hypothyroidism, the pinky will actually be below the first knuckle, the first crease, um, and that's usually genetic. Uh, I went to a seminar, and I went through about 10 people. I said, get your thyroid checked, get your thyroid, get your thyroid checked. And when they all came back, and this was at a fertility clinic, and when they all came back, seven of them came back with TSH is 2.5, 2.6, or above. And they had no clue. And now they're further, now they're further um, looking into thyroid evaluations, and they never knew they had them, okay? Thyroid is also a major component in cancer. If you're hypothyroidism, your body will not convert the, the good, the, your body will not allow the conversions into the good estrogens, and you'll have a buildup of bad estrogens. Once you correct the thyroid, a lot of that, a lot of those ultra metabolisms change. Um, my mother, who is a survivor of cancer, and all the other and a lot of other people I talked to whose moms had passed away who had breast cancer, 75% of them were treated for, 75% of them were treated for thyroid at one time or another in their life. And when I treated my mom's thyroid, a lot of the um, markers and stuff started to change and actually helped keep her cancer, helped to maintain the proper metabolism to reduce the re-exposure or the uh, re-expression of the cancer. So thyroid has a huge impact on multiple angles, spe mm -hmm. specifically neurotransmitters, okay? Um, GABA, serotonin, oh, yeah. are driven by thyroid. Um, this is an interesting find that I made, is if you have a person who's low T4, who's on armor, and they flip-flop back and forth, they appear to be bipolar, if you add a little bit of T4, T4 is a stabilizer, and what T4 will do is, is it will reduce that bipolar, um, those bipolar characteristics. If you have a person who's more depressive, they will respond better to armor. But you can have a person who's depressive, who's, who's solved depression, but they still flip-flop. They're unstable. And okay. They'll end up on different types well, of it looks, like, it looks like we have somebody from England giving a call. Let's see. Good. Hold on. Hello, this is Dr. Jess. How Hi. are you? Hi, it's Navita. Hi, Navita. Hi. Um, I just wanted to ask, so I'm 39 now, and I had low thyroid symptoms since I was 11, but didn't mm -hmm. know it. Um, but when, like, I got really ill was when I came off the pill, which mm -hmm. was the synthetic pills that I was on for a very long time. Right. So I was wondering, 
does that point to I was 35 at the time does that point to more like there might be a sex hormone imbalance that would um, be Yes, that would be correct. What happens when we come off the pill is, is sometimes the estrogen goes up and the progesterone stays down. And mm-hmm. when that happens, is, is you can, have, as I mentioned, the thyroid, thyroid binding globulin goes up, which will bind up any kind of hormone that you have, even though your levels are normal. The doctors don't yeah. care for that, especially in um, UK. That's why, you know, a good test to run, which is a very affordable test, which is one of the best tests out there is, is, uh, you can run it through biolabs, or what they do is you can um, you can um, actually run a Genova test. Genova test for all those markers. Um, it's a very it's a very good test. It's their thyroid panel. So you're you, absolutely as you come off the pill. What happens is is your hormones don't get back to normal, and mm-hmm. that can end up in the state of estrogen dominance. Uh, which can definitely mimic the thyroid. This that can definitely mimicly hypothyroidism, and also remember, as estrogen goes up, it also can mimic cortisol issues because as estrogen goes up, cortisol binding globulin also goes up too. So you, that's one reason why when you look at a person who's got normal cortisol levels, if it's all bound up, it doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a state of estrogen dominance, have normal cortisol levels, and have normal thyroid levels, the first thing I would do is is I would check the hormonal levels. To see exactly where to see exactly where you are now, and because your history automatically dictates it, then that would be the first per, that would be the first thing that I would look at. And can you have estrogen dominance with low estrogen? Because they told me that I have a low estrogen, but they never check progesterone here, like on the NHS. You know, they think yeah, that um, you don't need I, progesterone; you're already making enough if you're having periods, which I know is. Incorrect. Correct. So I know I've got low estrogen, but could you have estrogen dominance with low estrogen? So does that mean that your progesterone is probably even lower than? Yeah. What happens is is you can you would actually have physically low estrogen, but it's the ratio between the progesterone and estrogen that is causing the estrogen dominance. Mm-hmm. Okay. So and if you have low estrogen, you have that. the thing that you look for low estrogen, you look for night sweats look for vaginal dryness, you look for depression, um, and you also look for loss of elasticity in the skin. Because estrogen mm-hmm. helps keep hydration. Estrogen, estrogen actually helps keep hydration. And also if you're experiencing like um, depression or anxiety, then therefore you want to look at the hormone levels. Um, and a lot of the times, like you said, once you come off that pill, that's, that's where you end up at, Okay. And then you, you know, eventually end up with hysterectomy and the whole nine yards, okay? That's, mm-hmm. usually, that's usually how that tends to follow. And most hysterectomies are usually due to lack of progesterone and too much estrogen. Uh, lack of progesterone in relationship to estrogen. Yeah. Would the Dutch test be good at looking at all those, looking the at Dutch, the progesterone and estrogen ratio? Absolutely. Um, okay, the good. thing about the Dutch test would be is, is I would probably, in your case, probably do a full panel because what that does is that will tell me exactly what's happening at the cellular level of the thyroid, uh, which even though that your symptoms are showing hypothyroid, maybe your blood levels look good, but you can actually see the functionality at the cellular level. Uh, which in my blood a- test, I mean, my TSH did, because when I came off the pill, my TSH went from 
1.9 to like 5.09. Yep. All within uh, like a year of coming off the pill. Yep. And probably your essays, they never checked your sex hormone binding globulin. And remember, too, thyroid and sex hormones, like testosterone and stuff, they can mimic each other. Okay? Uh-huh. Because sometimes getting the thyroid helps the sex hormones. And sometimes helping the sex hormones helps the thyroid. They're interchangeable uh, in certain uh-huh. conditions. But if you're on, if you're being treated for thyroid, what happens is a lot of women that treat the thyroid, they start to lose their libido. The reason being is, is their sex hormone binding globulin goes up. Because when you look in PubMed in research, thyroid meds increase sex hormone binding globulin. It may help in some areas, but your libido may take a nosedive from it. And especially is that with T3, ha- I think? It's, it's T3 and T4. Specifically, okay. Armour Thyroid can do it too. I've seen it, on both, I've seen it both arabidinose. Why it happens, I don't know. I think, there's, I think it's got to do with the UGT. There's, an, there's a gene I found called UGTA1A1 or UGT, UGT1A1. Yeah, 1A1. And when I looked into the research, yes, it's for glucuronidation, but glucuronidation is also needed to move out the thyroid itself mm-hmm. uh, to wipe it out. So, mm-hmm. you know, and it might actually, I actually have some cases where I worked on that and it actually moved out the T3. But remember, if you work on glucuronidation um, by using calcium deglucurates and your hormones are low already, um, you can actually go more depressive. And actually, I actually had a case where their practitioner wasn't as knowledgeable, and what happened was is they saw the gene expression, and they saw the UGTA1A1, and what did they do? They give them, they give them calcium deglucurate, and all of a sudden, um, they're, I, get, I, get the, I get the client, I'm like, why am I depressed? They ended up on like three different types of antidepressants. And wow. what happened was is they were being treated hormonally, so they were actually taking bioidentical hormones. The problem was is they're causing a hormone deficiency because of the amount of the calcium glucurate they were given. And once I saw that, I, I pulled them off the calcium glucurate, and guess what happened? Their depression went away. They discontinued all the they discontinued all the antidepressants. Well, because I'm on bioidentical hormones too. Yeah, well, it's, well, it's a, a um, tricky. It's a case. It's a case we um, we've uh, spoken a little bit about, Sean. Um, yeah. Navita, we'll talk. We'll talk um, privately in a little while. Okay. Um, yeah. It's it's a um, as you can tell, especially in a case like yours, um, it's a um, it's a very very wide um, a lot of considerations. You know. Yeah. Um, but if there's anybody who knows how to balance the thyroid, it's Sean. There's no question about yeah. that. You know, because he well, uh, knows all the little ins and outs. Very good. Yeah. It was nice talking to you, Navita. Take well, care. Thanks. Okay. Bye bye. Okay, we're kind of getting at the end of this uh, at this um, of our time here. And um, Sean, do you have, I'd like you to let everybody know how they can get in touch with you because I keep letting them know, and I wouldn't lie to anybody you know me, that when it concerns this kind of stuff, uh, there's nobody around that I know of that understands this better than you. So, if people want to consult with you, how do they go about um, arranging that? The best way to get in contact with me is to email me, or you can go to you can email me at info at matrixhealthwell.com, or you can go to my website at www.matrixhealthwell.com, and I can be contacted through there. Very good. Do you have any uh, parting words of wisdom for our listeners? 
Um, just, you know, do the best you can with what you have and try. I hope I gave some avenues to think outside the box on because, you know, to go over all these box, to go over all those boxes in an hour is almost virtually impossible because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's, there's areas we haven't even touched on yet in regards to nutritional intervention, imbalances, um, genetics. I mean, there, there's a whole list of stuff. And as your, as my client and stuff, I'll get into more detail with that and I can show you exactly, you know, how to address those issues and be able to point you into economical ways to get the information we need without spending thousands of dollars. Because I think a lot of people or are just throwing darts at a dartboard. Yeah. They're looking and, at one. They're looking at one system and trying to treat one system without consideration of the other systems. Absolutely. Okay, it's kind of what it comes down to. Okay, and yep. when you consider the other systems and you know what you're talking about, you can target better. And usually, those those things you target with aren't these, you know, expensive fancy medications. They're a lot, mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, a lot different than most people think. You know. Sean, I really appreciate you spending your time. I know I know you're a busy man, and I really appreciate you spending your time and sharing your wisdom with us. And I know everybody else does um, too. And anybody wants to get in touch with you, I'm sorry, info at matrix m a t r i x health h e a l t h well w l l dot com, or if you go to his website at www.matrixhealthwell.com, okay, you'll be able to. Um, schedule a consultation. Okay. Um, he's, uh, he's incredibly thorough. And like I said, in the advertisement for this, frankly, he's the guy I go to when I get confused. Okay. And, um, I don't get confused all that often anymore, but he's still the guy I go to. So thanks a lot, brother. I appreciate you spending your time. All right. Take care. Take Bye-bye. care, man. Bye-bye. That, ladies and gentlemen, was Sean Bean, and I like to kid him a lot and say, Sean Bean, the great and powerful, uh, because um, he's just bigger than life to me. Um, uh, we're going to be having, uh, now that all of Europa and um, America is coming back from vacation, <laughs> okay, we're going to start stepping up our, uh, our uh, podcasts. Uh, you'll be getting, if you haven't already looked on, uh, on uh, Facebook, you're going to see... Um, a sign up for the medicinal supplement summit. If you've been wondering about how to take medicines, uh, Wendy Myers and uh, who runs liftof110.com has created a medical sub has created a summit of which I'm being interviewed and many other doctors are being interviewed on. And you can sign up for free and listen to the whole thing. It's from September 12 to 19. I'm going to try and get uh, Wendy to um, do our show this upcoming uh, Monday uh, and I also have a good surprise for you. Uh, there is um, a new program in England um, that combines uh, fixing the cerebellum and uh, doing emotional treatment, okay, that I'm going to start introducing you to. Um, it's, um, oh, I'll, I'll write it all out and show it to you because I don't think I could do it justice in about 30 seconds, but I'm pretty impressed with the results that I've seen. Okay. So we're going to be uh, really stepping up and interviewing different people and um, giving out good information. Uh, don't be afraid to give us feedback and say, you'd like to learn about this. You'd like to learn about that. Okay. Because um, that's what we're here for. And um, 
like I said, if um, anybody hasn't told you that they love you today, don't forget, Dr. Jeff, we'll guys see you in a week or two, okay? Take care now. It's been a long road Getting from And don't forget, people, whether it's thyroid conditions, ME, chronic fatigue, chronic Lyme, it's a multifactorial, multi-system involvement. It does not mean that you have to live like that, okay? The whole purpose of us doing these seminars, doing these podcasts, is not to sell you anything, but to let everybody who's got chronic illnesses know that there are answers and you have to demand them you absolutely have to demand them and the reason I choose this song is because let's face it guys with chronic illnesses people with chronic illnesses have faith of the heart have faith to believe have strength of the soul and you guys know you can reach in any star you just got to keep hammering away at it okay don't let anybody talk you out of it this is Dr. Jess we'll see you soon bye bye <laughs>